Great to have you here with us. As Jaden said, my name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, especially if you're newer, uh, visiting H show for one of the first times, uh, just want to say we're really glad that you're here with us. Uh, for the last nine weeks, this is our 10th week, and we are wrapping up this series that we've been as we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you've been with us, you know that we've been through many different topics, many different chapters, and uh, the book of 1 Corinthians is 16 chapters long, so we have got to completely hit every single verse, but the hope has been that we would take a little bit of a deeper dive into this particular letter that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth, and, and the hope anytime we go through a book or a series like this that's a little bit more extended is not just that we learn a, a few like cool facts or a, a couple uh, cool re remember sayings or something like that. The hope is that we allow God's Word to transform our heart, and we also are driven to study God's Word a little bit more and when we understand how to open up the Bible and apply it to our life. And so that's our hope and our prayer. And today as we come to the 10th week, as we are going to be wrapping up this series before we head into a new series next week that we're calling How's Your Heart? Uh, as we're wrapping up this series, we're coming to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and it is like a flagship chapter in all of the Bible. In fact, if you had to probably rank different chapters within the Bible and you made a list of like the top 10 chapters that are most important or most influential. I would say 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we're going to look at some of today would fall into that category. And so as we prepare to open up the pages of scripture, uh, I want to ask you a question as we're getting started to just think about. And here's the question because it's going to be addressed in this chapter that we're spending time in. The question is this, what is the most important belief that you have in your life? And I know that we're in church, right? And so you don't have to answer it out loud. And I know that you probably have an answer that you think that you should give if you're here at church or that you think that we would want you to give. But I'm not even asking that. I'm not asking what should you give an answer to. I want you just to think for just a second as we're about to open up the pages of the Bible. What is the most important belief that you have in your life? What is the belief that is most important in dictating the way that you live? What is the belief that is most important when you come to figuring out how your life should look and what you should base your life on? And don't be tempted just to answer the right answer. Is it, is it a belief in yourself that you can do whatever you put your mind to? Is it a belief in your family, in the way that you've been raised, in the good things that you've been taught or brought up in? Is it a belief in your political system or your nation? What is the most important belief that you have that dictates the way that you live your life. See, Paul is going to make a case here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the most important thing that any of us can believe in is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that if we truly understand it and we truly believe it and we allow it to transform us, it's not just a, a head knowledge about a historical event. It's something that will change us. And so the big idea that we're going to unpack together today is this. For those of us in Christ, the resurrection is our only hope for this life and the next. For those of us who are in Christ, the resurrection is our only hope for this life and for the next. And Paul is going to unpack why this resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, it matters so very much for those of us who follow 
Jesus. You know, that topic and that word resurrection, we oftentimes think about it around Easter time, but it's not just a topic to discuss or think about at Easter time. It's something that should inform the way that we live and the way that we think throughout all the days of our life. Not too long ago, I was, uh, I was at a coffee shop. And if you know me, you know that like, I rarely work here at our office here at the church. I like being out amongst the people. I like uh, working in coffee shops. And if I'm working on a teaching or sending out emails or whatever, you can find me at some random coffee shop, either here or close to here. And when you, when you do a lot of work in coffee shops, you run into people a lot. And sometimes you, are, uh, you overhear conversations that people sitting close to you have, right? And I try not to do that, so don't, you know, if you see me, don't think I'm eavesdropping on your conversation. I I usually put my earbuds in and work or something like that, so I can't hear everything that's going on around me. But every once in a while, there'll be a conversation that you just, you got to take the earbuds out and just listen into a little bit, right? And so I was in this particular coffee shop, and there's these two older gentlemen, and and they were starting to have this conversation. And as they were having this conversation, they were talking about some friends of theirs that had passed on, that were no longer alive. And they started talking about the funeral. And they started talking about the process of of grieving and what that was like. And uh, and, and one of the the guys just seemed like he he was really struggling with it. And he said, you know, I'm so glad that when we went to this person's funeral that it was just real. And it was just honest. And there wasn't any false hope. And there wasn't any religious wording. And there wasn't any, oh, he's in a better place language. He's like, there's just nothing. And we talked about his life. And then we just had to deal with the reality that he's just gone. And there's nothing. There's nothing left. There's nothing else to say about it. What can you say? He's gone. It's over with. And that's how it's going to be for all of us. And the other guy's like, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. You know, and they're having this conversation, and I couldn't help but be drawn to it. And then as they kind of wrapped up, it was actually raining outside. It was interesting because the, the one guy who is kind of most down on, on this conversation, he said, oh, hey, be careful. As I was driving in, some car slipped and fell into the ditch, and, uh, but for the grace of God, there go we. You know, I thought that was an interesting phrase to say right after we just talked about how there's no hope beyond this life. But you know, as I was listening to their conversation, it obviously would have been inappropriate for me to insert myself into this conversation. I did pray for those guys as they were talking. But I remember thinking, first of all, man, that's so sad, isn't it? That's such a a hard place to be in if, if you truly believe that there's nothing after this life, because life and death is a reality that we all live with. And if there is nothing else, that is a pretty hopeless place to be. But the second thought that I had was kind of interesting. I thought, man, I appreciate this person's logic and honesty. Because he was actually saying something that was very biblical. And that Paul is going to talk to us about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's actually saying, if Jesus isn't real, if the God of the universe and the God of the Bible that we believe in is not real, then there really isn't much hope. And we shouldn't make up magical stories that there's anything more to the afterlife. We should probably just deal with the reality that this is all that there is. 
And so while I disagreed with the conclusion that he came to, I could actually appreciate that he was being honest with the fact that if he didn't believe in Jesus and Jesus' resurrection, then he couldn't claim to a, a false hope that there's anything more after this life. And so as we think about that conversation, and all of us have to wrestle with the heaviness and the brevity of life as we live in this world, let's go to the pages of Scripture and let's see what the Apostle Paul teaches us about the resurrection and how it can inform, inform not just how we view eternity, but how it can inform the way that we live as well. If you want to open up with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. Just, that's a great line right there, right? I want to remind you of the gospel. That's what we do every Sunday here at H2O. The things that are really important in our lives, we remind one another of. So Paul is saying this to the Corinthian church. Brothers and sisters, I, was, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I pass on to you of what? Of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. First point, I want to stop right there. There's nothing more important than the resurrection. There's nothing more important than the resurrection. See, what Paul is saying here is something that we probably already know, but it's really good for us to be reminded of. Uh, as we look at the pages of the Bible, and again, we open them up here every week at H2O, uh, what we believe is that all Scripture is equally true. As we read through the Bible, we believe that it is all inspired by God and that it is all equally true. And we also believe that all Scripture is important. As we read the pages of the Bible, we can learn something from every single word and every single page of the Bible. But what Paul is saying here is all Scripture is not equally important, right? All Scripture is true. All Scripture is important. But there are certain parts of Scripture that we have to understand. This is what we stake our claim on when it comes to following Jesus. And if this isn't true, this is a deal breaker, and what Paul is saying is the resurrection of Jesus, it is a deal breaker. Because if it didn't happen, it's not like, oh, well, that's not that big of a deal. We can figure out how to still worship Jesus if he didn't actually raise from the dead. He's saying, no, this is the most important element of following Jesus is did he raise from the dead or not? And he'll go on to say later in chapter 15, there's 58 verses. We're not going to read every single one of them, unfortunately, as that keep us here way too long. But Paul will go on to say, listen, Jesus did raise from the dead. It's so true that there's still, when he wrote this letter, there's still 500 people that are alive that have seen him in person. So he's telling the church in Corinth, if you don't believe me that Jesus rose from the dead, go talk to the one, one of the 500 people, not just me, who saw Jesus here. But he is saying this is of importance first importance in the resurrection is something that we stake our faith on. C.S. Lewis, a great Christian writer and thinker, he says, Christianity, if false is of no importance, if true is of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is of moderate importance. And that quote 
I've read it before in different teachings. That sticks with me so much because it helps inform the way that I live my life. Are you living like the resurrection, like the gospel, like your faith in Jesus is of moderate importance? Because it can't be that. It is something that either totally dictates the way that we live in our future and our eternity, or it's something that actually doesn't matter if it's not true. And we shouldn't be here singing songs because we're singing songs of someone who didn't actually raise from the dead. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, just a few verses later, he says, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless. So what I'm doing right now is useless, and so is your faith. He's driving home the point that these men that I was listening to were saying. Did Jesus really raise from the dead or not? Because our faith, our faith hinges on that reality. The Old Testament prophesied that he would do it. He claimed that he was God. And the resurrection is what legitimizes that claim. If he really did raise from the dead, then it literally changes everything because it means that the gospel is real. The gospel we talk about is the good news that Jesus came to earth and he, he walked on this earth willingly. He lived a perfect life and he died for our sins. Even though he had no sin in and of himself, he went to the cross and died for our sins so that we could be made right with God. And he proved that he had the power to defeat sin by raising from the dead. And Paul will say that Jesus' resurrection actually proves that at some point when Jesus returns for that final judgment day, not only will Jesus be raised from the dead, but every single one of us who are believers in Christ will be raised from the dead just like Jesus was. And so our physical bodies, they'll look different. We don't know exactly what it'll be like, but our souls will be reunited with our bodies and they'll be made perfect the way that they were supposed to be in the garden. This is the power and the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus. And so it has implications for all of us. There's nothing more important than that. Let's jump back back into verse 30. It says this, And as for us, Why do we endanger our lives every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. I think there's a Dave Matthews Band song that says that phrase. Verse 33 Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Let's stop there. We had to skip some verses to get down to this second point. But the second point is this. The resurrection defines the way that we live our lives. Again, if the resurrection is really true, it has to define the way that we live our lives. See, Paul's point was simple. He says, if you wander from the truth about the resurrection, it will have an impact on your daily life. If you stop truly believing in Jesus and the fact that he raised from the dead, then it will affect the way that you live. And Paul uses his own life as an example. He says, listen, I mean, I'm living this crazy lifestyle. I'm putting my life 
on the line, he says, daily, I'm facing wild beasts in Ephesus just in order to tell people that Jesus rose from the dead. And he encourages the Corinthian church. He says, listen, you, you're sacrificing. You're, you're facing scrutiny within your life. And it makes sense as long as you consistently put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus. But it only makes sense if we know that he rose from the dead to prove that he is who he says he is. And so that raises an important question for each one of us as we're here today. It's an important question for me and you. Are we actually changed by the power of the resurrection? Does your life look different because you believe Jesus is alive? Do you live your life in the hope of the resurrection and the gospel? And does it inform the decisions that you make in the way that you live? Now, Paul gives this really practical implication of what it should look like. In verse 33, he says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And so what Paul is telling all of us, and I think this is so important for us to hear right now, it's so important for the world that we live in. Paul is saying, when you have your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the way that you live that out will affect your decisions, and it will also affect the relationships that you make with one another. And if you don't surround yourself with folks who also understand the power of the resurrection— then you're eventually going to be led away from a strong conviction of who Jesus is. There's social psychologists that say that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. That's just a, a universal truth. That's just a fact. The people that we are closest with and spend the most amount of time with are the people that we eventually end up becoming like. And what, of course, Paul is not saying here is, listen, don't spend time with people who aren't Christians. Don't hang out with people who don't believe that Jesus raised from the dead. Keep a distance from them. Separate. Keep the holy people over here and the unholy people over here. That's not what Paul's saying at all. But what he is saying is the relationships that we build. Because if we're continually putting ourselves in bad company, if we're continually putting ourselves around people who deny the resurrection, those become our closest relationships, it can eventually pull us further and further away from Jesus. Don't be misled, he says. Bad company corrupts good character. I remember when I was in college, I had a friend by the name of Jim. Jim transferred to, to Bowling Green from a really solid Christian or a major that they didn't have at school. He got involved with our church and uh, we're a great guy, had a heart for people. And he had a particular heart for this one fraternity. Now, all, not all fraternities and sororities are like this, but this one fraternity that he had a heart for was full of people that I would say were bad company. And they were making bad decisions. But he had a heart to like try to point them towards Jesus. That's awesome, right? So he started building friendships with them. He, he eventually joined the fraternity in hopes that he would be able to bring the light of the gospel to that fraternity. And yet, as he joined that fraternity, it started to become a struggle back and forth of who was influencing who. Maybe you've been in one of those situations before. And then uh, a group of people asked him to move in with them in this particular house. And we were like, you know, I, I'm not sure if that's the best idea, Jim. I mean, it's going to be tough. You're putting yourself in a really hard situation. 
He's like, no, no, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good. And so he, he moves in with this group of people that are not following the Lord at all. And sadly, he became less and less frequent at church. He became less and less frequent in just studying God's word and, and growing in God. And eventually, it turned out that the group of people that he was trying to influence influenced him. And he fell away from the Lord. And I don't even know if he's following the Lord right now. And, you know, we all probably have stories like that. They're anecdotal, right? But the reality is Scripture warns us. Show me your friends, the phrase is, and I'll show you your future. And so Paul is just saying, don't be misled. Be wise about the type of relationships that you jump into. Of course, we need to love and care for and surround ourselves with people who are outside the church. That's our calling. That's a huge part of what God calls us to do, and we love that here at H2O. We encourage that, but make sure that some of your closest relationships are people who know that Jesus is alive, are people who who can point you back to the truth when you start to wander, because listen, we can all start to wander. We can all start to struggle. It's in our DNA. We have a sin nature that wants to pull us away from God. And so we need the power of the resurrection, which exists in those of us who believe, but we oftentimes need reminded of it. And if we don't put people in our lives who can consistently bring us back to the truth of the hope of the gospel, the power of the resurrection, then we can be misled. We can find ourselves being corrupted by bad company, even when we have hopes of bringing people closer to Jesus. Paul says one of the implications of how we live for Jesus is the relationships that we surround ourselves with and whether they're pointing us towards Jesus or not. Then we'll jump down to the very end of this chapter because there's just this beautiful way that Paul ends this chapter. In verse 54, he says this. He says, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable. He's talking about the mystical yet real thing that's going to happen when our soul is reunited with our body in the moment of that final judgment and resurrection. He says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. I love this phrase. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Third and final encouragement I want to share with you is this. The resurrection gives us hope and peace. The resurrection gives us hope and peace. This is such a beautiful passage, right? And I've oftentimes read it at funerals that we've had to be a part of or had the privilege of being a part of because it gives us hope even in the face of death. And if we're honest, all of us have lost somebody on some level. Some of us have lost people so extremely close to us. It can be heartbreaking 
And yet Paul gives us this encouragement. For those of us who are in Christ, there is hope of the resurrection because Jesus raised from the dead. You know, it's said that, that death is just part of life. But here we're told that death doesn't have to be the end. Death is a doorway to eternal life for those of us who have our faith and trust in Jesus because he defeated death when he rose from the grave. Now because Jesus defeated death, we don't have to fear it any longer. Of course, there's like a natural human inclination to not want to die. That's, that's part of how God made us, right? He made us to live. It's okay to not want to die. But at the same time, what Paul is saying here is, for those of us who are in Christ, we can also face death with confidence and hope and a reality that we are going to see Jesus because Jesus has victory over death. A couple weeks ago, my youngest son and I, my 10-year-old, we went to support one of our friend's sons at a football game. He plays for Whitmer High School up in Toledo. And so we were at this football game. Uh, we were enjoying the, the football game. Whitmer was getting beat by Central Catholic. It's the end of the fourth quarter. And, um, you know, we were about ready to leave the game early, but we decided to stay around and talk to friends a little bit more. Well, maybe you heard about this football game on the news, but as we were there, about four minutes left in the game, Everybody, the game's winding down. People are kind of starting to take off. We're just enjoying conversation with our friends because the game was basically over. All of a sudden, we hear gunshots. We're like, wait a minute, what in the world is going on? You know, and at first, everyone's kind of, uh, if you've ever been in one of those situations, you're kind of like, are those firecrackers? Like, what's going on? And, uh, and so me and my friend look at each other. There's a bunch of kids with us, and we're like, that's not right, you know. That, and then uh, we wait, there, there's about a 10-second gap, and then the gunshots that we now realize are gunshots get louder, and there's more gunshots. And as you can imagine, like the whole place, maybe you saw a video of it, the whole place just goes crazy. Players are running off the field. It's mass chaos, right, in that moment. And I, I remember there was about a two-minute period where I had this thought, like, we might die right here. Like, I didn't know whether a gunman was just coming in and opening up shooting on everybody or whether it was a specifically targeted thing. There's a couple minute period where it's like, I have no clue what is going to happen right now. And of course, my poor 10-year-old son was traumatized by the whole experience. And so, you know, parents are like grabbing their kids and covering them up case there's stray bullets because you don't know exactly what's going on or why it's happening. And it was a traumatic moment. And it was a, a moment that kind of just brings you back to that reality, right? That like, who knows when our time is? Who knows whether tomorrow is going to be here for any of us? We were actually going to walk literally right through where that happened, and there's a few bystanders that got shot in the midst of that as well. You think, Lord, I, I don't know. Could have got shot. We could have been killed. And in that moment, you're again just reminded that life is brief. Like when you just think of like the, the whole span of eternity. I mean, 
our lives are just so much of just a blip on the radar, aren't they? And, and our responsibility is to live them for the glory of Jesus. And in that moment, as I was talking with my son on the way home, we were just kind of processing that. I don't love that my 10-year-old had to process it, but it got brought right into our laps. And so we were talking about life, and we were talking about death. And I was able to share with him the encouragement that, listen, we don't have to want to die, but we're all going to experience it. That's why Jesus is so important. That's why putting our faith and trust in him matters so much. Because in him, even in death, there is life. Jesus defeated death. I love how Paul says he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so not only does he give us victory in death, which is something that's so amazing that can give us hope and peace. He gives us victory as we live right now because Jesus rose from the grave and defeated our biggest enemy, death. It also gives us hope as we walk on this earth that there's no problem that's too big because Jesus can defeat it. He can have victory over it. He can give us victory over, over death. He can give us victory even in our lives. No person is too far gone to experience the resurrection power of Jesus as I live in this world. No relationship is too damaged to experience the resurrection of power of Jesus and have God breathe life into it because of his forgiveness and grace. That's what victory in Jesus is all about. That's what the resurrection power that Jesus gives every single one of us. It's not just for death. It's for life as well. And so we don't have to walk around as dull, defeated people just waiting for that day when we get to go to heaven. That's something that we get to be excited about, but we also get to live and walk and experience the beauty of the resurrection power in our daily lives. If we serve a God who's defeated death, then he can defeat any problem that we face. He can take a hard situation and turn it for our good and for his good and for his glory. That's why the resurrection matters, not just for eternity, but for here and for now. So as we close and we spend time worshiping, I hope that we can worship our God in victory. You know, thinking about football season, whether you're a Ohio State fan or a Michigan fan, whatever spot you find yourself in, probably a lot of us yesterday were like throwing up our hands in excitement for what our teams did, if you like football. And that's why some of us, as we're worshiping, we throw up our hands because it's like there's victory in the experience of knowing that Jesus can give us power and hope in every situation we face. So as we go into worship, would you worship God with confidence, knowing, claiming, being reminded of the resurrection power that he offers to each and every single one of us? Let me pray.